Okay. Title of our lesson this morning, Things Our Hearts Need to Hear. We're going to take a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Paul's writing to a young and struggling church, and he's trying to encourage them at this particular time. And so I'm going to give you an illustration in just a moment. And then to your surprise, for most of the that are regularly here, I've only got two points. Okay. <laughs> but don't think it's going to be shorter. It's just got two points. That's all. <laughs> I'm going to give you this illustration in just a moment. You know, as I put up that title this morning and I was thinking things our hearts need to hear, there may have been certain things that kind of came into your mind, like about the love of Christ and what he had done for us. And all, and that's included. But I want you to keep this in mind as we take a look at this particular lesson, because this is based upon 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And so Paul is writing to a church, a young church, that is struggling. Paul writing to this audience, and they are going through difficult times. So what does their heart need to hear? That's what you want to keep in mind. And so as Paul writes to them, he will tell them, if you were going through really tough times, what would you want to hear? Now, this is Paul, by inspiration, writing to this church. They're going through tough times. And he says, give thanks for one another. And you're like, is that it? Yeah, that's it. And what else? Jesus is coming back. So those two things. Give thanks for one another. And Jesus is coming back. Now, sometimes whenever we are going through difficult times and challenges in life and trials and things are hard, we get to thinking, is God in control? And if He is in control, why doesn't He do something? The problem that we have is oftentimes we don't see life. (laughs) We don't see ourselves. We don't see what God is doing, so we think that God must not be in control and that He's not doing anything. And so what Paul is pointing out to them is God is in control. And not only is God doing something, He's already done something. Before you ever got in that situation, before you ever arrived where you are at now, God already was ahead of the game. He's already planned for this. Nothing surprises Him. So He has made preparation for this situation that you are in. And He's going to give you everything you need. Because a lot of times what we get to thinking is, Lord, deliver me from this situation. In other words, zap, problems are gone. And God is saying, no. What I'm going to do is provide you with what you need so that you can learn, you can grow, and you can survive, and you can thrive, and you can make it through this situation. What God is saying, stay with me. Here in Kansas City, we have a lawyer. I've used this illustration before. 
you can see his billboards. And on the billboard it says, Mike's got this. <laughs> you know what Paul's saying to the church of Thessalonica? God's got this. <laughs> so before you think he's not in control, or before you think God isn't doing anything, let me tell you ahead of time, God's got this. Stay with him. See, the problem is that sometimes you don't miss something until it's gone. So what Paul is trying to get them to see, what God is trying to get them to see is, first of all, you got each other. That's a real blessing. So now here comes the illustration. Most of you probably remember a guy by the name of William Shatner. Remember him? <laughs> Better known as Captain Kirk. Star Trek. Starship Enterprise. Along with Spock and Scotty and the whole gang, right? <laughs> and so William Shatner. It was on October 13th, about 2021, that Jeff Bezos has a space shuttle, the Blue Origin, and you could pay so much, a lot of money, and you could go into outer space. Now stop, I want you to stop and think about that just a moment. So Captain Kirk, William Shatner, is now 90 years old. He's going to be on that shuttle headed to space. Now we have watched him on TV for years, for decades, and supposedly he has traveled the universe and been to all kinds of galaxies. Take it to warp speed, Scotty. <laughs> William Shatner had never been in space. <laughs> so October 13th, 90 years old, oldest person to ever travel into outer space. He's on there. He's going. He wrote a book entitled Boldly Go, Reflections on a Life of Awe and Wonder. This is what he wrote. My trip to space was supposed to be a celebration. Instead, it felt like a funeral. It was among the strongest feelings of grief I have ever encountered. The contrast between the vicious coldness of space and the warm nurturing of earth below filled me with overwhelming sadness. Everything I had previously thought was wrong. Everything I had expected to see was wrong. I had a different experience because I discovered beauty isn't out there. It's down here with all of us. And leaving this behind made my connection to our tiny planet profound. See what I said? Oh, I thought it'd be great to go to space. And what am I going to see out there? And what am I going to experience? And all these kinds of things. And you know what you get find when you get out there? Life's not out there. Life's here. And when you're separated from it, you miss it. Does that kind of go along with what Clayton said at the table this morning? Jesus faces that separation. See, what we have here, even though sometimes... There's all kinds of turmoil. 
going on within the world, but if you were taken away from it all, you'd miss it. Okay? So what we have here as Christians, we have here, we have now, and we should learn to enjoy what God has blessed us with. So now, give thanks for one another. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 2. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians and God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, sometimes we kind of read that as an introduction and we just kind of like move right on and say, okay, let's get to the meat of the letter. There's the introduction. Just don't pay much attention. He says, grace to you. You having trouble over there? Got a lot of things going on over there? A lot of persecutions going on over there? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what grace is? Most all of us would probably say, oh yeah, I know what grace is. We've been saved by grace, haven't we? Grace is unmerited faith. We give it a definition. And we say grace is unmerited favor. And that's true. It is. But a lot of times I don't think we stop and really think about, give consideration to, ponder, meditate upon God's grace to us. God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Genesis 2 and verse 7. That's grace. God created God gave us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's grace. When you went to bed last night, got a night's sleep, when you woke up this morning, when you opened your eyes, God's grace. When you breathed in and air, oxygen filled your lungs, God's grace. If you had breakfast, if you had coffee like I did, <laughs> God's grace. So yes, is His Son God's grace? Absolutely, it's His grace. But it's all God's grace. And so Paul, as he writes to this church, and you're going through difficulties, you're going through trials, the very first thing I want you to do is to think about God's grace. I've told you this before, that while I was high school, at high school, and those teenage kids, they would come in and they would complain about everything. And I would tell them, one of the things you've got to do in this life is you've got to learn to keep your eye on the donut and not on the hole. So Paul's saying, keep your eye on the donut. (laughs) You're going through difficult times. Don't forget God's grace. Because grace is not just about saving us. It's also about sustaining us. And Paul said, God's grace to you. And then he says, and peace. In the Hebrew, shalom. But whenever you think about peace, as Paul uses it here, whenever you think about the Hebrew, shalom, it's not just the absence of turmoil. Peace has to do 
with their inner calmness that we have. And Paul is saying God's grace extended to you, God's peace to you. I want you to stop and think about this. God's peace between you and Him, between man and man, and peace within you. That's what Paul said. You going through difficult times? Think about God's grace. Think about what God has done for you, the peace that He makes possible between you and Him because you don't deserve God's grace, but He still, because He's a loving God, gives it to you. And He wants you to have peace with your fellow man. You know, as I was reading this, thinking about this, we've all either been children (laughs) or we've had children. And at some point in time, there's going to be a blow up, right? (laughs) And sometimes kids will be running around and it'll just be like they're losing their mind. (laughs) I was looking for a birthday card just the other day and I was trying to pick out something kind of humorous. And on the front of this birthday card, there was this little girl and she's got a hold of her hair and she's pulling it in every direction. And on the inside, it says, I'm fine. How are you? I'm pulling my hair out. (laughs) Have you ever taken a child and said, calm down. Come here. Sit on my knee. Put your arm around him. Look, we've got this. It's going to be okay. Calm down. So Paul writes and he says, grace and peace to you. From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus warned his disciples, John 16, that they would have turmoil in this world. But in me, you have peace. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see what he's saying? So as Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. He begins immediately by reminding them, grace and peace to you. So now I ask the question once again, does it seem like it's out of control? (laughs) At times they may be thinking, it's out of control. And is God doing anything? And you know what Paul's saying to him? He already did it. And you see that? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome in the world. (laughs) He knew it was coming. He knew we would encounter it. And He's providing what we need. You have God's grace. You have His peace. And you have one another. Isn't it good? When we have someone to share with in times of turmoil and in times of trouble, verse 3 and 4. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God, 
for your patience and faith and in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Paul says we ought to, depending on the translation, some translations say we are bound to give thanks for you. And what Paul is saying is, I feel an obligation. I feel an obligation to give thanks for you. Let me ask that. Do you feel obligated to give thanks for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Let me ask you this. Have you told them you're thankful for them lately? If you haven't, today's a good day. You know, I've talked to people before and they would recall when they were younger and they would say we would be at the family dinner table and then either the brother or the sister, when they were young, they would be wanting to say the prayer. And there would always be that one that they would say, when they pray, (laughs) the food's cold before they're done. They're praying, they're giving thanks for the dog, they're giving thanks for the flowers, they're giving thanks for the birds, they're giving thanks. Obligated. Paul says, we ought to. I'm bound to. This is the right thing to do. And so a lot of times we do, and we thank God for the many blessings. Paul says, you ought to give thanks. For your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because isn't it good that you have someone to share those things with? Isn't it good that we come here with Miss Last Sunday? <laughs> Aren't you glad to be back? Isn't it good with all the things that are going on in the world, there's somebody that thinks like you do? <laughs> there's somebody that's taken the same approach to life that you're taking to life. I know I enjoy God's grace. I know I have peace because of what He has done. And in the midst of all the turmoil, all the things going on, we can come here and we can talk about this. No matter what happens here, this is not the end. And that is. And I'm thankful that I have that to share with someone else. Over in First Thessalonians, chapter one, verse two and three, Paul says, "We give thanks to God always for you all, and making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father." Paul says. We give thanks for you all. Remembering your work of faith and your labor of love. Their faith, their love. Let me tell you what Lightfoot says in his commentary about that passage. He said the Greek words are carefully chosen. The former, so he's talking about the faith, The former implying an internal organic growth as of a tree. 
So physically speaking, you see something grow. And so he's talking about their faith and what he is saying is internally and what Paul has given thanks for is their faith. Their faith is growing. Growing in God. Growing in His Word. Growing in Jesus Christ. Growing in understanding how God takes care of us. Isn't that a blessing? Wait a minute, God does have this. He is with me. He does care about me. And so the faith is growing. But watch what he says. The other, now it's love. Work of faith, labor of love. The other is diffusive or expansive. It's like water that irrigates dry land. You know what Paul just said? Your faith in God is growing. And you know what it's doing to you? It causes you to love people. Isn't that the way it is? Isn't it good? You're a Christian? I'm a Christian. (laughs) And maybe you just met. Let me hug you. I like what he says, though, about it's like watering or irrigating the land. Isaiah talks about a parched desert. Have you ever seen ground? I'm sure Kenny has. He's a gardener. Have you ever seen ground that has grown dry? And after it's baked in the sun for a while, it starts to get cracked and parched and separate and the plants are kind of wilting and so forth. And then what happens when it gets a good dousing, soaking rain? All of a sudden, the ground kind of starts to come back together and then it's sealed and then those plants begin to flourish. You know what Paul's saying? See, there's people out there that are just like that ground. They are parched. They are dry. That's what the world has done to them. But because of your faith, and now your love is going out to them, guess what? Those cracks, those open wounds, they can be healed. And that spirit that was once shriveled, all of a sudden it starts to blow. Can you see that? That's what Paul said. Your work of faith. Your labor of love. That's what's happening. And he's thankful for it. Where did it come from? Remember that grace and peace that God gave? And it resulted in your faith and your love. Can we see that? It's a progression. That's what Paul is talking about there. I'm going to skip down to verse 6 and then we're going to come back and pick up verse 5. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Grace, peace, faith, love. And then what? Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Now verse 5. 
which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. What just happened? What just took place there? We were talking about God's grace and peace extended to you and it's your faith and love and it's all growing. And then now all of a sudden he's talking about it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation, with troubles, those who trouble you. You know what they're saying? God's got his eye on you. Those people who are picking on you, God's got his eye on it. He'll take care of it. Romans 12. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I don't have to settle the score. God knows what's going on. And he'll take care of it. Verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That you. See, because immediately we look at verse 6 and we think, all right, (laughs) y'all been acting this way? Been mistreating me this way? (laughs) Judgment's coming. But he's also saying, wait a minute, there's judgment in there for the Christian. Verse 5. Which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. You know what I say? Do you believe me? Are you living by faith? Do you think God's got this? Do you think God is going to take care of it? If so, you're living by faith and you're not seeking for vengeance on your own. You're trying to live for God and letting God take care of it. Can we see that? And encouraging others to do the same thing. It's manifest evidence. It's a righteous thing. See, because sometimes we want to ask God or want to tell God, jump in here, do something, take this away. And he's saying, no. That's not the way it works. God has told you about his grace. God has given you his peace. God has given you everything you need. Do you remember the Apostle Paul? Do you remember that thorn in the flesh? And do you remember what God told him and how he prayed three times, take it away from me? And what did God say? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, I've given you everything you need. (laughs) Paul, I got this. Are you with me? Is there something you need, Paul? I've given you everything you need. I've given you grace. given you faith. I've given you others. You can do it, Paul. You can handle this. And when you come out on the other side, you'll be stronger. Because that's what James says. Count it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and let patience have its perfect result that you might be made complete, mature. 
they say. The goal, see, sometimes we get confused, and if you listen to the televangelists, they get confused. <laughs> and they'll tell you the goal in this life is for you to be happy. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Jesus was a man of sorrows, <laughs> but we're supposed to be happy. Jesus said, if the world hated me, it will also hate you. He said, I've overcome the world. So God has provided everything, not just so that we can be happy, but so that we can be mature. Because the goal in this life is not being happy. The goal in this life is to be like Jesus Christ. Remember when we talk about Romans chapter 8 and verse 29? For those whom he foreknew, he also pre, he also pre con What's that word for? For those whom he foreknew, there, thank you, Marilyn. Predestined. <laughs> I've got help in the audience, okay. <laughs> For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Finally got it out. Thank you. I think it's interesting. Remember Peter? Peter was so sure of himself, wasn't he? Lord, I'll have to die. Luke, the 22nd chapter. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you and that he would sift you like wheat. But I pray for you and that your faith will not fail. But when you have returned, you'll strengthen your breath. Peter, you, you think you're so sure of yourself. Well, let's put that to the test. And Peter falls. But Jesus said, I prayed for you. He came back. So what did he do with the rest of his life? He spent it trying to strengthen his breath. That's what Paul's saying. Grace and peace. Faith and love. Thankful for one another. Encouraging one another. I think somewhere along there I was supposed to uh, put that up there too. Because <laughs> that's what he's talking about in verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay though with tribulation those who trouble you. Now verses 7 through 10. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. The Lord's coming back. So what's He saying? In that day when He comes back, all those of you who have believed... 
You'll be glorified. You'll be thankful that you lived faithful unto Him. And for those who have not turned, it says He'll bring punishment. He'll bring vengeance. He'll bring retribution. Returning with His angels. Flaming fire. Taking vengeance. So, someone had asked me recently, I was talking to him a little bit about this particular lesson. I said something about the second coming. This isn't necessarily all about the second coming. We'll have another lesson one of these days just on that second coming. But Paul does mention certain things here. And he mentions those angels. Jesus is not coming back just by himself. Those angels are coming with him. And so there's other passages that we take a look at, and if you have the outline from this morning, it's like they're all on there. I'm just going to mention one of those, and it's from Matthew, the 13th chapter. And it's the parable of the wheat and the tares. And I'll just read to you quickly from Matthew 13, because this is one of those parables that Jesus teaches, and then he gives the explanation for it. Verse 36, Matthew 13, he says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, The harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun In the kingdom of their father, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I like that phrase. (laughs) He who has ears to hear. What Jesus is saying, listen up. You all listen up. And so he explained the way it is. There are the wheat, the sons of the kingdom. There are the tares, the sons of the evil one. And previous to this, The workers had said, can we go out and gather them? And he said, no. (laughs) Leave that till the end. And then the angels will be sent. And they'll gather. The wheat to the barn. The tares to the furnace. So why are the angels coming? He'll gather the righteous and the wicked. You know, some have concluded from reading passages like this and so forth, and it talks about punishment. Some have interpreted that annihilation. That's not what he's talking about. Because when you read in Matthew, the 25th chapter, and it talks about the end of the age, and Jesus sets on his throne, and he will separate the nations the goats on his left, and the sheep on his right. And those on his left will go away into everlasting 
punishment. It's not annihilation. <laughs> it's everlasting punishment. And those on his right will go away into eternal, everlasting life. So Paul is telling the church at Thessalonica, there's going to come a time he will return and then he will take vengeance on those who have troubled you and have not believed God and have not obeyed the gospel. Sometimes we read that and think, wow, that's harsh. It's good news. And it's offered. And we have an opportunity. That's where he started. Grace and peace to you. That's what God has done. He has given his son. That's why we talked about in class this morning what Peter said. God is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering, not desiring. God does not want anyone to perish. Sometimes people talk about God sending people to hell. God does not send people to hell. He allows them to make a choice. He's begging and pleading through his son. Make the right choice. I'm going to wrap this up. When Jesus comes back, it'll be a long way today. Sometimes it can seem like it's the Lord coming and life is troubling and we can grow impatient. But he's saying, when that day comes for Christians, it'll be a time of relief. It'll be a time of rest. It'll be a time of reward. And we will see the Lord. And He will be glorified in us and we in Him. But for those who are not Christians, it's a day of vengeance. God has been long-suffering and patient in giving opportunity. And He calls through the gospel that they might be saved. So sometimes people ask, is God in control? And why isn't He doing something? God is in control and he has done something and he's provided everything that we need. That's what Paul is saying to the church at Thessalonica. And the other thing that he's saying is people say, why doesn't he do something? He has, he is, and then finally, he will. <laughs> he will. But now is the day of salvation. I want to extend the invitation to any and all that are here this morning. If you've never rendered obedience unto the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was Jesus himself who said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you're a child of God and you need to make your life right, John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and the blood of his Son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we can help, let us know while we stand, while we sing.